take you from whatever it was to great, but I hope uh, being here this morning uh, gives you kind of a, a reason to have that happen or to see that happen. It does mine. Mine's gone from good to great. Just being here with you this morning. And I, I had a, a, a great week, honestly. I had a birthday last week. So, uh, you know, I'm still accepting cash and gift cards. My mailbox is number five in the hallway. So, but anyway, Facebook, you know, on Facebook. And so Facebook, you know, it blows up. Anytime you have a friend who has a, um, a birthday, uh, Facebook just starts blowing up and starts giving you all this information, you know. Uh, it's like, uh, well, um, you know, hey, guess what? Today is Sean's birthday. You might want to wish him a happy birthday. But you're like, no, I've got to scroll down and see what, you know, Delish has got a recipe is for this today. And so I'm in a hurry. I don't have time for it right now. So you scroll on down and then, uh, you know, you kind of get these uh, little more, uh, less subtle hints, I guess. It's, uh, hey, look, look at all these people who've wished Sean a happy birthday. Hint, hint, because you haven't, you know. And so you're like, all right, I'll, I wish him a happy birthday, you know. And so... So you do that. That's Facebook. But I'm not much on, on birthday fuss, but I do like the idea of a new beginning. I like a, a new birth year. I like a new month. I like a, you know, an, I like a new day. I like this whole idea of, of starting again, you know, like a new school year. I know we all love that. Uh, you know, or a new tube of toothpaste. Honestly, I like a new tube of toothpaste, you know, because... Starting new is like rolling up to the starting line of the new beginning. It's like, okay, this time I'm going to squeeze from the end and not the middle. And so you've got this brand new, you know, untouched tube of toothpaste. So I know I'm weird like that, but I like how, you know, every year is a new beginning. And I'm understanding more every year how that is a new beginning because I am beginning to creak when I walk and I am beginning to grow hair in places it didn't used to be. I'm beginning to notice how much younger 40 used to be. And so I'm beginning that. I'm beginning to appreciate a comfortable chair. Who appreciates a comfortable chair? I And good shoes, comfortable shoes. Y'all, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to realize it because I'm getting it. I, I'm getting older. So Elijah had hoped for a new beginning. We've been looking at this episode in the life of Elijah. He had hoped for a new beginning and all that he had been looking towards when God defeats the, the false gods of, of, of this, this wicked kingdom and, and of the people who had kind of, you know, following along with this. Elijah had hoped for a new beginning for the people. He had hoped for this when the drought would give way to refreshing rain. But that was not to be. That was not going to happen. And so Elijah's faith had brought the rain to relieve the drought. But the people could not survive on the faith of Elijah. They could not survive on the faith of this prophet. They needed to be grounded in their own faith in God. And that's always a process. And so we talk about imparting faith to the next generation. We've spent a lot of words over these last handful of years talking about this. Imparting faith. And there are many ways that we attempt to encourage this at Summers Avenue. And one is, is our backpack buddies, which is just kicked off again for the school year. And so we have these backpack buddies, and our summer's kids are going to be encouraged and they're going to be uh, mentored and exposed to godly men and women who have volunteered to do this and who, by their relationship, are going to share faith with these kids as they do life together in various ways throughout this school year. But we need faith examples in our lives. We need that. And so we learn from each other and we teach each other and we mentor each other. But faith has to become personal. We've got to own it. Eventually we've got to own it. So we've been in 1 Kings chapter 
19. And we just saw how at the end of this grueling period of, of, of life, of being a prophet of God, of how Elijah has, has, has walked through this devastating drought and brought the people to the end of this devastating drought. The drought brought on because of their idol worship, brought on because of their rejection of God. Not only were people in the land promised relief, but Elijah was promised relief too. This prophet was promised relief. So in chapter 19, beginning in verse 19, we're continuing this morning, how Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen. He was near the twelfth pair. And so Elijah passed by him and threw his robe over him. And he left the oxen. He ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back. Indeed, what have I done to you? And Elisha went back and took his pair of oxen and slaughtered them. And he cooked the meat over a fire that he made by burning the harness and yoke. He gave the people meat and they ate. And then he got up and followed Elijah and became his assistant. So Elisha would take over eventually for Elijah, but first they're going to be backpack buddies, so to speak. And so for six years... Elisha, whose name is annoyingly similar to Elijah, <laughs> and I get confused a lot, and I may do that this morning. I try to remember J comes before S, Elijah came before Elisha, and so that's how I try to remember it. But Elisha follows Elijah around watching and learning, and, and as Elijah imparts the will and the work of God to him. And so now it's time for God to relieve this prophet who's been through so much and done so much for him. And so now they come to the Jordan River. And so in this scenario, verse 6, we're continuing here. Elijah said to him, You stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha replied, As certainly as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they traveled on together. And the fifty members of the prophetic guild went and stood opposite them at a distance. A little prophet school over here watching all this. And while Elijah and Elisha stood by the Jordan, Elijah took his cloak, folded it up, and hit the water with it. The water divided, and the two of them crossed over on dry land. And when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, What can I do taken away from you? And so Elijah gives Elisha a blank check of sorts. Here, here's the checkbook. What, what do you need? What can I do for you? And his response is interesting. It's very interesting. He, but he, he requests in, in a way that God is going to honor. So what can I do for you? He said, Elisha answered, May I receive a double portion of your prophetic spirit that energizes you. And notice here how Elisha doesn't ask for Elijah's stuff. Hey, look, I noticed that... that, that cane you got, that, that walking stick, that's pretty sweet, man. I've been carving and mine doesn't look like, can I have your stick? Can I have that cloak? Because you've been rocking that cloak now for several years. Can I? He didn't ask for any of that. wonder how many, how, if we examine our prayers, how much of our prayer revolves around stuff for us? How much of our prayer life revolves around asking for stuff we want instead of the substance we want to become? So most of our goals are oriented towards what we want to accumulate or what we want to be, If I think, if we're honest about it. But Elisha says here, I don't want a thing that you have. I want who you are. I want to be who you are. I want to be the, the godly person, the godly man that, that you have shown me to be. 
That's what I want from you. And so, you know, once I understand how God thinks, I can access all that God has. When I understand God's direction for me as His child, then I can access everything else He has. Once I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all of these other things will be added to me. But if I just get what God has and I don't understand what God thinks about what I should do with it, then I'm going to waste everything He gives me. I'm going to waste my inheritance. I'm going to trash my home. And outside of the Father's house, there was a young man who didn't have the mindset of the Father, but he had a mindset of a servant. And so he took his father's inheritance and he ran away, walked away. He left. He took it and he squandered it. And it was just a matter of time before the stuff got ahead of the substance. And we remember where that left him, that prodigal son. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, Jesus says, The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. God has... No problem getting us stuff. God has gotten me a lot of stuff in my lifetime, not just physical stuff. He's gotten me a lot of stuff in life. He has no problem with that. What He wants is me to work on my substance. And so Elisha figured this out. He's seen it in Elijah. Six years they've been walking side by side here. And he sees this. But it's one thing to know in theory. It's one thing to see it in someone else's life, and it's a whole other thing to put it into practice in our own. And so Elijah responds, that is a difficult request. Basically, I'm not sure you know what you're asking. If you see me taken from you, may it be so. But if you don't, then it won't happen. So Elijah says, what what you see, what you end up seeing is what you're going to get. Where your focus is, is what you're going to end up with. When you think about your faith, when you contemplate your relationship with Jesus, when you examine the way that you respond to circumstances of life, what do you see? What's your perspective? And so Elijah says, if you're still with me to the end, if you walk with me through this season, then you will begin where I finish. Yes, indeed. If you don't run off, if you don't get scared and run away then your request will be granted. But let's see what you're made of as you become who you're made to be. And so our kids get to start where we finish. And that handoff that we make, that handoff should be further down the road than where we began. We always want better for our kids. And a lot of times we think about that as we want our kids to have you know, a better job. We want our kids to have an easier monetary path to walk. But what we really need to be focused on is that our children are spiritually stronger because where we have left them. They should pick up where we leave off. In a congregation, the next generation begins where we finish. And so there's this handoff that happens, this this natural handoff. And that handoff can be just like in any other track meet. It can be a disqualifying effort as we drop the baton and everybody loses. Or it can be a smooth transition as we pass that baton. It depends on us working together side by side. Elijah and Elisha had walked side by side for six years in this relationship and Elijah had definitely set Elisha up for faithful success as this next prophet in the land. And so as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a fiery chariot pulled by fiery horses appeared. 
And they went between Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up to heaven in a windstorm. And while Elisha was watching, he was crying out, My father, my father, the chariot and horsemen of Israel. And then he could no longer see him. And chariots have always represented this, this battle imagery, this imagery of a, of a war, this battle, this, this, this struggle. And there's this internal battle going on because Elijah has been, he has been the chariot and the horseman of Israel. That has been the mantle he has carried. And now Elisha sees that ascending up into heaven. The fiery chariots, the horseman, of, the deliverer of Israel is gone. Now what? Now what? The rain is gone. Now what? How do I continue without the only leader I've ever known? And some of you are asking, how do I continue without the only love I've ever known? And how do I continue without the only security I've ever known? How do I continue without the only friends that I've ever known? And it's in this moment of transition that Elisha, sees Elijah no more. And he grabbed his clothes and he tore them into. And rather than a description of how Elisha felt, you have this demonstration. See, it's one thing to tell somebody how you're feeling. It's another thing to show them. Hey, Elisha, Elijah's just gone up to heaven. Bet you're not going to Disney World. What's going on now? Well, I'm feeling pretty bad. Nah, what does that mean? <clears throat> That's what it means. That's what it means. In our life, there are things that tear us in two and that leave us where we're clinging to the past while part of us is looking to the future. And so we're caught here in this middle. And so it says, He picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen off him, and he went back and he stood on the shore of the Jordan. And so Elisha now is contemplating the uncertainty of this new reality without Elijah. See, I've got to plot a new course now. This enormity of the responsibility. He passed the cloak. I asked for it, and here it is. Now, now what? So he stands here, feeling this, the weight of this, as great as the enormity of this, the mighty Jordan River in front of him. So, understanding, that's what commitment to God is. That's what commitment to God looks like. This is what committing your life to Jesus Christ is. It's uncertain, and it requires responsibility. And at times it can seem daunting. I remember when I decided to buy a house. I'd been living in an apartment. Then I moved back home for a little bit. A season. Or two or three. But anyway, I decided to buy a house. And so I, I found a house. My first house. And I had all these ideas about what it meant to, to own a house. You know, all these great thoughts. Dinner parties. I'll have dinner parties. Man, I'll have neighborhood block parties. It'll be awesome. I, got a, I had a pretty big front yard there. Friends coming and going. This place is going to be a revolving door. I don't need bolts on my door. People coming and going. Butterflies whirling around in the yard. Oh, I can smell the beautiful flowers and the birds warbling their spring melodies as I sip my lemonade on my front porch. Then I bought a house. <laughs> and the yard needed mowing. Every week mosquitoes outnumbered the butterflies and the barking dogs drowned out the birds warbling. Pipes broke. Paint peeled. Dirt accumulated. And I understood real quick that the concept of owning a house is perfect. That's magazine quality, owning a house. Look at that beautiful thing. It's whatever I want it to be. 
But the commitment of owning a house, that's something altogether different. See, some things in life are more attractive in concept than they are in, in reality. When, we're, when commitment is required, then they're not as attractive. They don't look as good. The Apostle Paul saw this firsthand. Firsthand with one that he calls a fellow worker. Someone who, it appears, was in love with the concept of following Christ. But when it came down to the reality, they, the concept, I love the concept enough to join you in this work, to, to, pledge, to, to pledge my membership to this work. But when it comes down to the reality, the commitment, I'm not sure I'm willing to sacrifice. 2 Timothy chapter 4 tells us about this. Paul says, Demas deserted me. Demas deserted me since he loved this present age. See, there's a cost to faith. Faith costs something. There's a sacrifice. It requires an investment. I must invest my life in something I can only hope for. Something I cannot yet see. Something I have yet to fully realize. Glimpses, maybe. God gives us glimpses of what's to come. I can see it in other people's lives, certainly, but this decision must be mine. The decision to follow Christ, to commit my life to Christ, has to be my decision. So, Elisha, what's it going to be? What's he going to do with this? Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion of his profitableness. It'd be a double portion of your prophet's spirit. What do you want? Oh, if I could just have faith like he does. If I could just be the kind of Christian that she is. If I was half the Christian that that person is. See, that's a great concept. That's a great concept. If you could be half, what are you going to do with it? Here's half. Now what are you going to do with it? See, so he picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen off of him, and he went back and stood on the shore of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen off Elijah, hit the water with it, and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And that's a great question. Where are you, God? I saw you in him, and now he's gone. Where are you? See, the day God took Elijah away from Elisha was the day of his greatest pain. It was also the day that Elisha received his greatest power. And sometimes the greatest pain and the greatest power can come in the same day, the same time, the same season of life. And that may seem like a paradox, except that they come from the same source. And so Paul prayed, Lord, take this burden away from my life. It's making me miserable. It's wearing me down. It's wearing me out. Take it away. And God said, My grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then Paul says, I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I'm content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties. Not just because, but for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. See, it's in your weakest moment when the power of Christ in your life will wield its strongest power. That's when He shows you how strong you really are. Through Him, by faith. So you want to know how strong your faith really is? You want to know how strong your faith really is? I do not dare you to ask God to show you how strong your faith really is. I really do not. Because you know that the testing of your faith is what produces endurance. Scripture tells us that. 
How do I know? How do I know that the testing of my faith produces endurance? Well, because you have to go through it. And when you go through it, you will see when you have endured. See, everything Elisha had been planning for, everything Elisha had been thinking of, everything Elisha had been hoping for, everything Elisha had been planning seemingly went up in a cloud of dust. And all he was left with was his faith. All he's left with was him and God. Just me and you, God, now. But he had been watching. He had been watching his backpack buddy. He had taken notice, and he knew that living by faith is not a spectator sport. And he also knew who else had been walking with him and who had been walking with Elijah. And so he took the cloak that had fallen off Elijah, and he hit the water with it. And he said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he hit the water, the water divided, and Elisha crossed over. Where are you, God? And God said, I am right here. I'm right here with you. I am right here. God affirmed the position of Elisha by the same miracles that he had allowed Elijah to perform. Not because of Elijah's faith, although certainly that example of living by faith in in Elisha's life influenced him when he saw Elijah do this. It influenced him. It gave him strength. And it was because of Elisha's Faith at work, though, his obeying and his trusting and his doing what God had commanded and led him to do. That's what gave him the strength to go forward. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, we read, Moreover, if the Spirit of the One who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the One who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through His Spirit who lives in you. So where are you, God? Where are you? He's right here with you. And God affirms our position by the same miracle that He performed in a garden tomb so many years ago. When it was Jesus' faith that made it all possible. And so it's our faith in Jesus that makes it possible for us. It's not because of Mama's faith. It's not because of Daddy's faith. It's not because of Grandpa's faith. It's not because of some great cloud of witnesses that surround us. It's because of our faith at work, obeying and trusting and doing what God commands us to do and what He leads us to do. But that requires commitment. It requires commitment. It requires responsibility. And it's not as easy as it looks. And some of you are standing at the banks of the Jordan River today asking, where is the God of my mother and father? Where is the God of my ancestors? Where is the God of the Bible? Just show up. Where's the God who promises me relief? And all the while, God is shouting in that still, small voice, I'm right here where I've always been, waiting for you. Waiting for you to let Him prove Himself in your life. And See, Elisha got what he asked for. He, he, about twice the miracles recorded about him that were about Elijah. Double portion. Double helping. Where are you, God? Ready to be with you. That's where. The question is, are you ready to be with Him? Are you ready to be with Him? Are you ready for Him to prove Himself in your life? Because it will cost you. There is a price that has to be paid, but it's worth every cent. And this morning, God is calling someone, perhaps you, 
to hear His voice. To repent of that sin that has been separating you from fully trusting, fully engaging, fully living your life in Christ. And He's waiting for you to recognize that, to confess that to Him, and perhaps to someone else if you have sinned against them. But to come to Him and ask for forgiveness because He is ready to forgive it. And He will do that. And He proved He would do that because He sent His Son to this earth to live as we live, to die on a cross, to die the cruelest of deaths so that we would not have to, so that He could become the sacrifice for our sinfulness, for our neglect, for our idolatry that we toy with, wrestle with every day of our lives. So that our sins could be nailed to that cross. And as God raised Him from the dead, He raised our hopes. He raised our countenance. He raised our eyes to look upward to our heavenly home. This is the promise I have for you. You who are faithful. All who will come to Christ. And so this morning, Jesus calls you. Will you put Him on in baptism to be forgiven of your sins so that you can be raised in Christ to receive the gift of His Spirit as Scripture has promised you? And receive the promise that He has for you for eternal life. If we can pray with you this morning as, a, as your family as your friends, as, as Christians assembled together. We want to take a moment to do that. <clears throat> Perhaps in your heart right now is you're struggling. Talk to someone. Find you a backpack buddy. A Christian woman, a Christian man, a Christian example that you can talk to. We have shepherds in this congregation. Your ministers are available to you. Don't, don't live with this because you're not living with it. You're dying one day at a time. But God calls you to life. Life in Christ. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. If we can help you in this moment, in this morning, while we are assembled, will you come now as we stand and sing? Mm-hmm.